My favorite conspiracy theory right now states that right below our feet is an entire other world. Its own atmosphere, its own sun, its own civilization. It's known as the land of living gods, the forbidden land, the land of white waters, and the land of living fire. Five, four, three, two, one. Yo, welcome to another episode of Down Another Rabbit Hole Podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and today we're going to talk about a topic that I have been super stoked for, Agartha and the Hollow Earth Theory. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive, kind of a sidestep deep dive. And when I say deep dive, I mean a deep, deep dive, because, man, I searched for one thing and I found all of the things. So, like, it's going to be a lot. Bear with me. Bear with me, okay? I'll be honest, too. Agartha is becoming one of my favorite conspiracy theories lately, It's not necessarily that I believe it. It's that everything around it, it it scratches that fantasy itch. It checks all the boxes, if you will. I don't even know where to begin with this. I, like, I truly don't. There is so much that I guess, I guess we just start at the very beginning. The mention of Hollow Earth goes all the way back to ancient times, with it being spoken of as a place of afterlife. The Greeks called it the Underworld, the Christians know it as Hell, and the Jews know it as Sheol. Meanwhile, many tribes around the world actually find it to be a place of life. The biggest thing that all of these cultures had in common was that they believed that this world had entrances and exits that existed all over the world through a series of tunnels, and they were considered extremely sacred and important. Let's flash forward to 1692. We're in the midst of the scientific revolution, and astronomer Edmund Haley actually releases his initial theory of hollow earth. Yeah, Edmund Haley, the astronomer. The same astronomer who analyzed comets orbit, discovering them to be elliptical and periodic, as well as accurately predicting the return of the comet that we know today as his own, Haley's Comet. Now in Haley's initial hollow earth theory, he theorized of an initial outer shell over 500 miles thick. And then inside existed two more shells within each other, separated by their own atmosphere. Now, with these atmospheres, Haley was suggesting that it could be inhabited. Now, let's flash forward to 1818, and John Cleve Sims Jr. actually suggests that it is hollow shells with approximately a thickness of 810 miles with entrances or exits or whatever you want to refer them to at both of the poles, being North and South Pole. And this theory is actually what we know today as the hollow earth theory. Sims actually became very well known for this theory, and he actually proposed an expedition to the Poles to prove it, which was approved by President John Quincy Adams, but unfortunately he was out of office before it was able to be like conducted, and once Andrew Jackson took over, he said, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely not. So, unfortunately it never happened. Now, his hollow earth theory inspired a lot of people throughout the course of history, and honestly it still does today, or obviously we wouldn't be making an episode about it. But I found it really cool uh, when I discovered that he actually inspired some literary works by Edgar Allan Poe, H.G. Wells, and of course Jules Verne. And uh, honestly, they're all literary powerhouses. Like, who hasn't heard of any of those guys? You know what I mean? Random, uh, random side fact, I used to have nightmares about War of the Worlds, like the one with Tom Cruise. It was crazy. I used to have this reoccurring nightmare that... I'm so sorry. Random side tangent. I used to have this reoccurring nightmare that for whatever reason, War of the Worlds was happening, right? Like, we were getting invaded by aliens, and we would be at the White House. Everything would be crumbling. You know, those giant columns that hold up the White House. All right, so this was right after I watched Predator for the first time with my dad. 
I, yeah, I honestly don't know if I had seen War of the Worlds at this point, but when I watched it later on, I was like, yep, that's the scene. That makes sense now. That's the aliens. Anyways, going back. So we're getting invaded by aliens. It's War of the Worlds. And we're at the White House, my entire family, me, my mom, my dad, my little brother, my little sister. I'm a lot younger at this point. I'm like 12, 13. We're getting invaded. Tower, like the columns falling. There's an, an exploded helicopter just chilling in the in the front lawn of the White House. And we're all hunched over a fallen column. My dad jumps up on the column and looks me straight in the face. And he's like, all right, we're clear. Go on my count. I don't know why he was trusting me instead of my mother. I, I don't know. I don't control my subconscious. He looked at me and said, on my count. And as soon as he turned to check, like, check his surroundings, Predator comes out of nowhere and just spears this man in the neck. And I freeze. And, just, and then I wake up every time. Every time. I had this dream at least 10 times growing up as a kid. If someone can tell me what it means, that would be cool. Whatever. Anyways, a lot of people actually correlate this hollow earth theory to Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Honestly, if you haven't read it or you haven't seen the movies, the Brendan Fraser or the Rock one, there are a lot of fun and I highly recommend you watch them. I finally went back and rewatched them the other day. Honestly, I say rewatch. But I don't know if I ever actually watched them to begin with because like the whole thing was a ride. I don't remember any of it, so I don't. I think I watched it for the first time, and there were some parts where I was like, "This CGI," <laughs> but overall, it was it was really fun. It's a good story. I really enjoy it, and I'm actually reading the book for the first time as we speak. So, well, not obviously not right now, but you know what I mean. It's pretty good. I highly recommend it. I, re- I highly recommend it if you like adventure and like a sci-fi fantasy kind of thing. Now, Journey to the Center of the Earth was actually a huge hit when it released on November 25th of 1864. It spoke of an underground world with prehistoric creatures, vast oceans, jungles, and so much more hidden away in this underground oasis. People actually went crazy about it. Some called them conspiracy theorists. Others called them scientists. Whatever you want to call them, they still very much believed that it could and does exist. Take Admiral Richard E. Byrd, for example. Richard E. Byrd was a U.S. naval officer who served in both world wars and was a pioneer aviator. He even assisted the U.S. Navy with their first transatlantic flight in 1919. And in 1924, he began his polar career. He started by flying over glaciers and ice in Greenland, and once he built up his experience and his ambition enough, he wanted something much, much bigger. On May 9th of 1926, Byrd and his co-pilot Floyd Bennett actually journeyed from Kings Bay, Norway to the Poland back in an astonishing 15 and a half hour flight with literally no issues whatsoever aside from a minor oil leak in the starboard engine. This was absolutely incredible at the time. Both men actually received a Congressional Medal of Honor and were considered heroes at the time. Bird continued flying in 1927, earning feats over the Atlantic Ocean as well as France, gaining the title of uh, the Commandant over the French Legion of Honor. <laughs> now, he earned the title of the Commandant over the French Legion of Honor, and I probably butchered that, but I wanted to get a little fancy. My apologies. In 1928, Bird declared the goal of exploring the unknown regions of Antarctica via aircraft. It's about to get bumpy. In October of that year, the first expedition set out. Established a little supply base known as Little America on the Bay of Wales facing the Ross Sea. And it was actually pretty successful. The Rockefeller Mountains were discovered as well as a large area of land that later became known as Marie Birdland, named after his wife. 
and on November 29, 1929, with the assistance of three others, Bird officially flew over the South Pole for the first time in just under 19 hours. And this feat earned him the title of Rear Admiral. From 1933 to 1935, Bird set out on a second expedition, extending the exploration of Marie Birdland, although Bird had an extremely close call in the winter of 1934. From March to August, Bird was stuck in a hut at a weather station, buried beneath the ice shelf, enduring temperatures of negative 58 to negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. When he was finally rescued, he was found in desperately sick conditions, suffering from frostbite and carbon monoxide poisoning. From 1939 to 1941, per the request of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, Byrd led yet another expedition. And it was during this expedition that Byrd actually discovered Thurston Island. Byrd served during World War II as Chief of Naval Operations and quickly following led a project known as Operation High Jump. Operation High Jump was his fourth largest and most ambitious expedition to date with the assistance of 4,700 men, 13 ships, and 25 airplanes. Collectively, they successfully mapped over 537,000 square miles of unexplored Antarctica. It was wild. And I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. During this expedition, much like other members of the crew, Bird actually kept a diary. And, well, it somewhat became more of a flight log, more than anything, but... One flight in particular... It was definitely a little more interesting than normal. I can't stop reading over it, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. So February 19th, 1947. A lot of this is going to look like I'm just reading straight from this. I'm literally just going to include full excerpts from his diary for this day because I want to read to you verbatim what this man put, okay? It's actually crazy. Hold on to your trousers, button your pants, sit up a little bit, fix the plumber's crack, do what you got to do. Turn the volume up, turn off the lights, I don't care what you do, it's about to get wild, okay? So, it starts off at 0600 hours, so that'd be 6 a.m. If you don't know military time, it, it's 24-hour day, 0600 is 6 a.m., okay? The, so then 1800 would be 6 p.m., you, you catch my drift? Okay, 0600 hours. All preparations are complete for our flight northward, and we are airborne with fill... 0600 hours. All preparations are complete for our flight northward, and we are airborne with full fuel at 0610 hours. So the first few were actually pretty normal, but we're going to go ahead and jump to the first notable one at 0740. It says, note, slight oil leak in starboard engine, oil pressure indicator seems normal, however. We're going to go ahead and jump forward a little bit more to 0910 hours. Vast ice and snow below. No coloration of yellowish nature and disperse in a linear pattern. Altering course foe a better examination of this color pattern below. Note reddish or purple color also. Circle this area two full turns and return to an assigned compass heading. Position check made again to base camp and relay information concerning colorations in the ice and snow below. Also at 0910 hours. Both magnetic and gyro compasses beginning to gyrate and wobble. We are unable to hold our heading by instrumentation. Take bearing with sun compass, yet all seems well. The controls are seemingly slow to respond and have sluggish quality, but there is no indication of icing. And within 15 minutes passing, he simply logs, and the distance appears to be mountains. 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, he logs again. 0949 hours. 
29 minutes elapsed flight time from the first sighting of the mountains. It is no illusion. There are mountains and they consist of a small range that I have never seen before. 10 minutes later is where the really interesting stuff starts. So if you haven't already, button your pants, sit up, fix that plumber's crack, turn off the light, turn up your headphones, whatever you want to do, take a sip of your coffee. It's about to get crazy. Okay? 1000 hours. We're crossing over a small mountain range and still proceeding northward at best as can be ascertained. Beyond the mountain range is what appears to be a valley with a small river or stream running through the center portion. There should be no green valley below. Something is definitely wrong and abnormal here. We should be over ice and snow. To the port side are great forests growing on the mountain slopes. Our navigation instruments are still spinning. The gyroscope is oscillating back and forth. 10.05. I alter altitude to 1,400 feet and execute a sharp left turn to better examine the valley below. It's green with either moss or a type of tight-knit grass. The light here seems different. I cannot see the sun anymore. We make another left turn, and we spot what seems to be a large animal of some kind below us. It appears to be an elephant. No, it looks more like a mammoth. This is incredible, yet there it is. Decrease altitude to a thousand feet and take binoculars to better examine the animal. And it is confirmed. It is definitely a mammoth-like animal. Report this to base camp. Fast forward to 11.30 hours, he documents, Countryside below is more level and normal, if I may use that word. Ahead we spot what seems to be a city. A city. Mammoths and a... A city? Okay. This is impossible. Aircraft seems light and oddly buoyant. The controls refuse to respond. My god, off our ports and starboard wings are a strange type of aircraft. They are closing rapidly alongside their disc shape and have a radiant quality to them. They are close enough now to see the markings on them, and it is a type of swastika. This is fantastic. Where are we? What has happened? I tug at the controls again. They will not respond. We are caught in an invisible vice grip of some sort. Flash forward five minutes to 11.35 hours. Our radio crackles and a voice comes through in English with what perhaps is a slight Nordic or Germanic accent. The message is, welcome Admiral to our domain. We shall land you in exactly seven minutes. Relax, Admiral. You're in good hands. I note the engines of our plane have stopped running. The aircraft is under some strange control and now turning itself. The controls? Useless. They're useless. Flash forward another five minutes to 11.40 hours. Another radio message received. We begin the landing process now, and in moments the plane shudders slightly and begins a descent as though caught in some great unseen elevator. The downward motion is, the downward motion is negligible, and we touch down with only a slight jolt. 11.45 hours. I'm making a hasty last entry in the flight log. Several men are approaching on foot toward our aircraft. Are y'all following this? They are tall with blonde hair, and in the distance is a large, simmering city pulsating with rainbow hues of color. Are you following this? I do not know what is going to happen now, but I see no signs of weapons on those approaching. I hear now a voice ordering me by name to open the cargo door. I comply. Were You, f you were following that, right? So this man is in this expedition in Antarctica, and he takes off and finds a mountain range off in the distance, pursues the mountain range, crosses over the threshold of the mountain range, sees not ice, not snow, in the middle of Antarctica, but a giant green valley, 
And then he thought he saw aliens. He thought he saw elephants, but they were mammoths, bro. And as this man is circling around to look at the mammoths again, he loses control of his aircraft. And something comes over the radio saying that we're going to land you. You're in good hands. Where am I? What am I doing? Am I in some sci-fi novel? What is this? The rest of the diary is prefaced by... The rest of the diary is prefaced by Bird stating that he's doing the rest of it from memory. He's not logging it in real time as the previous accounts that I read to you were. So basically, he said, From this point, I write all the following events here from memory. It defies the imagination and would seem all but madness if it had not happened. I'm going to read you one last like exact excerpt. Bear with me. That's a hard word. I don't know why, but I'm struggling tonight, okay? Bear with me. We have let you enter here because you are a notable character and well-known on the surface world, Admiral. Surface world, I half gasp under my breath. Yes, the master replies with a smile. You are in the domain of the Ariani, the inner world of the Earth. We shall not long delay your mission, and you will be safely escorted back to the surface and for a distance beyond. But now, Admiral, I should tell you why you have been summoned here. Our interest rightly begins Our interest rightly begins Our interest rightly begins right after your kind bombed Nagasaki Our interest rightly begins after your race Our interest Rightly begins after your race. Our interest rightly begins after your race. Rightly, rightly. Our interest rightly begins after your race exploded atomic bombs over Nagasaki and Hiroshima, Japan. And it was that alarming time we sent our flying machines to your surface world to investigate what your race had done. That is, of course, past history now, my dear Admiral. But I must continue on. What in the sci-fi novel is this? Bird states that the master goes on to essentially say that if humans as a race do not collectively do better and change their ways, we are looking to get eradicated by this inner world civilization consisting of Nazis and aliens. If you're an H.G. Wells fan, you may also note... That his story is extremely similar to that of Mountains of Madness. Some people have gone as far to say that a sci-fi writer has actually came out to admitting uh, doctoring these diaries prior to release. Some say they fully believe Bird's documentation. I'm going to leave that up to you. As far as Hollow Earth being inhabited by Nazis or aliens, I'm, I'm going to have to say that I count myself out on that one, Chief. Even going back to Journey to the Center of the Earth, I find it really hard to believe as well that dinosaurs are still roaming down there. But what I can say is the possibility of cavities riddled throughout Earth's core. I, I, I could get behind that. I could definitely get behind that. But as far as Hollow Earth, I don't know. I don't think I'm on the train. I just really like reading about all of the theories and seeing, uh, well, I guess what people's imaginations can come up with more than anything. 
It's definitely super interesting to think about though, an entire civilization existing right below our feet. Hey, I'm TJ, and this has been yet another episode of Down Another Rabbit Hole Podcast. Thanks for hanging out. I love sharing these stories. If you enjoyed it, be sure to like, follow, subscribe, thumbs up, whatever you gotta do. It really helps me out. Stay weird. I'll see you next week.